Well, it's good to be with you this morning. I'm going to invite you, if you would, to take your Bibles and join me in Colossians chapter 1. Now, I have to confess to you that this is next door to probably my favorite passage in the New Testament, verses 15 through 22, that that is this phenomenal passage about who Jesus is and why He deserves first place in our lives. And and the, the reason I have to make a confession to you is I enjoyed that passage so much that for a long time I missed what was right in front of it. You ever done that? You read the same passage in God's Word. Maybe you're reading through a book of the Bible and you'll read that thing maybe 15 times and then the 16th time you'll go in and you'll notice something and you're thinking, wait a minute, did the Holy Spirit just stick that in there and not tell me about it? That's kind of what happened with verses 9 through 14. The title of the message this morning, Paul's Prayer for a Divine Workout. Now, um, we won't talk about that, uh, that I'm in need of a physical workout. We won't get into that one this morning. Um, Twelve years of my wife's incredible cooking, that's, yeah, that's, that's why. So, um, n- yeah, I'm blaming that on her right in front of all of you. That's a great anniversary present, isn't it? What I'd like to do, let's go ahead and read the passage so you know why we're calling this a divine workout. Then I've got a little short uh, video clip that hopefully will um, help make a connection for you, Okay. We've got it up here for you, Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 9, Paul writes, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now what I want you to notice is that three times in this short passage, Paul makes a reference to strength. And I was talking to somebody before the service about one of the neat things about being a preacher in today's era Uh, There are a lot of things that are difficult about being a preacher today. I'll just be honest with you. Uh, But one of the neat things is that because we know so much about the way people learn, we can tailor our preaching in some areas to help out different types of learners. There are people in this room who learn by hearing. You'll go out of here and you'll remember something that I said that nobody else will pick up on because you're you're an auditory learner. There are others who are visual learners. You've got to see something. So this next little thing is for you, okay? Uh, I want you to have in your mind the importance of a good, solid workout. So take a look. I have to go back and click on the, on the actual picture. Hey, look, he's the same farm guy. Yeah, and he's discount double checking. Uh, Hans and Franz? Surprise. Well, here's another surprise for you. Hear me now and believe me later. You pumped up our wallets with a discount double checking, so we want to repay the favor and pump you up. Sorry, what? Pull us, you flabby loser! You'll thank us later. That's right. Double check your diet. Yeah. Roll, roll, roll your roll. Gently down the loser stream. That's what I'm talking about. Doesn't this hurt? Not with those puny arms. You don't just live dumbbells, you drink them. No, come on. That's right. Feel it. Hello, muscles. The whole thing? Yeah, when you're finished, you can eat this up too. Congratulations, Aaron. You earned the suit. It's a start. Yeah, not bad. 
Really? Pump up your savings with a discount double check. I... Nice block, Adams. Get to a better state. State Farm. So that in your, I want you to have that in your spiritual life when you walk out of here here in a little bit. Now, not going to feed you protein powder. We're not going to make you drink a bunch of shakes. But I am going to invite you to eat, drink, take in the Word of God with Paul's prayer for a divine workout. Okay? Let's go ahead and take a look at what Paul has to say in these verses. The first thing I want to draw your attention to is that God wants to improve your walking skills. Now, do any of you uh, walk as in terms of exercise, in terms of for fun, get out and take a walk in the morning. I'm not going to invite you to raise your hands because I don't want to call into, into, into question anybody's self-discipline. Have you seen the power walkers? You know what I'm talking about, right? You can go out for a morning stroll, right? I'm just going to take a little walk. And you've seen the power walkers in the Olympics that have to, I'm sorry, I broke the microphone already, that have to flail the arms, right? We're going to get your walking skills improved this morning. Let's take a fill up. Take a look. Paul prays for the Colossians to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. That word filled is in the passive voice. Now here's something you need to understand. There was a group of false teachers in the church at Colossae who taught that you had to have a special knowledge from God to really be spiritual. Now that's a dangerous thing to claim. In fact, there are people today who claim that this book is not enough. That you, shh, you have to have this secret knowledge. People still claim that today. And so Paul wanted to make sure that the Colossians didn't fall prey to that false teaching. He said, I want you to be filled. I don't want you to fill yourself. You're going to be filled, presumably by the Spirit, if you read Ephesians 5.18, where Paul tells the Ephesians to be filled with the Spirit, be filled with the knowledge of God's will. See, God promises to fill His people's hearts as long as we are receptive to what He has to give us. Heard people, I've heard several people that have asked the question, if God's really loving, why would He let anybody go to hell? If God really loves us, why would He send people to hell? That's a fair question. It deserves an answer. You know how many people God has sent to hell? Every person now in hell is there by their own choice. God does everything within His power to keep people out of hell. But the one thing He won't do is violate your free will. You have the decision. You make the choice. Am I going to follow God or am I going to follow the pattern of the world? Okay? God wants to fill every believer with the full knowledge of His will. I was talking to a guy a couple of weeks ago, and he said, Matthew, I, I need to know God's will about this decision in my life. How do I know for sure what God wants me to do? Some of you may be in the same boat or have been there. How do I know for sure? Well, all I can tell you is that God promises to fill those who are willing to to be filled. And I'm going to go into this in more detail as we go through this, but right now be encouraged, be comforted that God wants you to know His will. He wants you to have the fullness of His plan for your life. He also prays for the Colossians to be filled with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You notice that in the text. The term understanding, Cleon Rogers notes, refers to, quote, putting together the facts and information, drawing conclusions, and seeing relationships. God wants you to use your spiritual wisdom given by the Holy Spirit to take His book and apply it to your circumstances. Would you agree that there are things in life 
that this book doesn't directly mention. Is that a fair statement? This will work a lot better if we can have a conversation this morning because some of y'all are still trying to figure out why I brought Hans and Franz with me this morning. The point wasn't to get you so worried about... I'm sorry. Anyway. Are there situations in life that this book doesn't directly address? I'll give you an example because some of y'all are nervous. I can't... No, the Bible answers everything. Does the Bible deal with traffic on the interstate directly? Does it say, thou shalt not go slow in the left lane? doesn't say that directly. But there are principles in God's Word where if you'll use your spiritual wisdom, you can apply this timeless book to any situation you face. When you're behind that precious lady with the blue hair and she's doing 35 and a 70, you don't tell her to use the long skinny one on the right. You don't, and because I've done that, you don't ask if she's had her geritol that morning. Because I've been there. We can be honest in here today, right? The rest of y'all are going to lie and, oh, I've never done that. Yeah, I know. God's watching. God knows the truth. Take this book and the spiritual wisdom that God gives to you as you are filled with His knowledge, filled with His wisdom, filled with His Spirit, and apply it to your circumstances. That's how the Colossians were going to be freed from those false teachers. They weren't going to out-reason or out-argue those people. Newsflash, nobody's ever been led to Christ because of an argument. It's the truth of the gospel, but filtered through a spiritual wisdom to where it's used in the right way. So not only do we need a fill-up here, we need a warm-up. Look at verse 10. The Christian life is often referred to as a walk. Look at verse 10. He says, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of His will so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Paul's prayer is for our walk to resemble that of a servant. Now I want you to think about something. We were at Cracker Barrel yesterday. Don't think about that because then your stomach will start gnawing on your backbone and you won't hear the rest of the message. But we were at Cracker Barrel yesterday. And I'm telling you, you couldn't fit five more people in that building if you had to. Saturday morning, Cracker Barrel in Jonesboro, you just get ready to wait. Our server came around, and, and really, he really did a good job. I mean, he really, everything we needed, he was right there. He took very good care of us. And I got to thinking about that when I was reading this passage. See, if we're the servants of God, if we're going to walk in a manner that pleases him, then we ought to be concerned with every single aspect of our lives. It's not just what you do on Sunday that matters, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, God doesn't measure your walk, the strength and health of your walk. They're not just measured on Sunday or on Wednesday nights. They're measured constantly. That's why we need to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, so that we'll know not to mess anything up. As our daily walking skills improve, there are two results that you see in verse 10 that will follow. I'm going to read these to you right out of the text. The first thing it says is that we will bear fruit in every good work. And I would add that that's a regular habit. If you could see that in the Greek, you would see that it is a present tense verb, which means something that happens constantly, continuously, as a regular force of a habit. See, pleasing God is not something you should try to do, Pleasing God is something that you should be a, a, a part of who defines you. It's who you are. 
Every aspect of our lives will be affected by this walk with God, and it will be noticeable. Now, I don't often share preacher stories because, as Solomon once said, there's nothing new under the sun. So every preacher story has been stolen from somebody else unless it's about that preacher. Y'all know that, right? We preachers, we're very good at stealing stuff. We're not very good at coming up with original stuff. So I'm going to admit that to you this morning. Harry Ironside tells a story about a, a maid, a young maid, who gave her life to Christ. And somebody was talking to this young girl about how her walk with God had changed her life as a regular habit. Not a Sunday thing, but a Monday through Saturday. And they said, has Jesus really made a difference in your life? And the young girl said, oh yeah, yeah. When I do my cleaning, now I even clean under the rug. Because that's normally where we sweep stuff, right? That's what I, well, never mind. I forgot she was here, sorry. Let me be telling off on myself. So you're going to bear fruit in every good work. As you walk with God, it will make a difference, not just here when it's safe and easy to be a Christian, but it'll make a difference Monday through Saturday when the world is watching. It says also that as our daily walking skills improve, we will increase our knowledge of God. Now, would there be anybody in here who would say, you know, I pretty much know everything I need to know about God. I'm good, Matthew. You can go on to somebody else. Well, good, that's one less thing we have to pray about this morning. We all have room for growth, don't we? And as our walk with God improves, so will our knowledge of Him. In fact, some translations link these two events. One way you can word that part of verse 10 is this. As our knowledge of God increases, our fruit-bearing and our good works increase as well. God wants to fix our walk. Now, the second thing I want to draw your attention to and, and, and I'm not going to do the Hans and Franz voice. You're welcome. But God does want to pump up your spirit. I feel like I should, you know, uh, anyway. But he does. He wants to pump up your spirit. Let me ask you a question before we dig into the text. Are there times where your spirit is kind of sagging a little? Are there times where it's harder for you to honor God Monday through Saturday. Of course there are, right? No, there's nobody perfect in this room. If there is, let me get out of the way and y'all can come take care of this. But we're not. James says it this way, that we all stumble in many, many ways. And sometimes our spirits sag. Sometimes it's, it's stuff that we need to grow, an area of weakness that needs to be knocked out. But sometimes circumstances can knock us down. Have y'all heard the whole mess with the New England Patriots? Have you heard of this, the deflate gate stuff? Somebody like, what's the New England Patriots? Are we talking about the war now? Football team. Tom Brady, the quarterback of the football team, let them give him a football that didn't have enough air in it, so it gives easier to grip. He cheated. They won the Super Bowl. <laughs> the footballs are a little bit saggy, deflated. Sometimes our spirits like. And so in this part of the scripture, in verse 11, God wants to pump that spirit back up. Take a look at what he says. First of all, he's going to emphasize a point. I mentioned a little while ago that there are three references to strength. They all come in verse 11. Let me read it to you again. Look at verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Now let's break that down. First of all, he says, may you be strengthened, again, passive voice. The Colossians couldn't go to a spiritual gym and pump themselves up. They had to have God's strength. 
the word there basically points out that on our own, our strength is so puny. No matter how hard we try, we're not going to be able to be what we need to be without God's help. He says, be strengthened with all power. I got to thinking about that. Is there anything too hard for God? No. Made everything. The scripture says he created and he sustains the universe. And the Bible says in Hebrews 1.3 that Jesus holds up the whole universe by the word of his power. Nothing is too hard for him. So if you think you've got a hard time living Monday through Saturday in a way that pleases God, Again, my prayer for you is the same as Paul's prayer for the Colossians. May you be strengthened with all power, and the source of all power is God himself. And Paul says that. The ultimate source of this strength, it says in verse 11, is his glorious might. The Greek word there is kratos, and it refers to the ruler's executive authority. I want you to think about that. In a government that has a king or a queen, all power in the entire government rests in the hands of that one individual, if it's a true monarchy or true dictatorship. That executive ruling authority. God's the king of the universe. Absolute ruler. And he says, I'm strong enough to empower you to do whatever you need to do for my glory. Whether that's living a holy life, whether that's resisting temptation, whether that's overcoming trials, whether it's talking to somebody about the gospel like Gary was, uh, was talking about a little while ago. Whatever it is that God has called you to do, He is able to enable you to do it by His strength according to His glorious So not only is Paul trying to emphasize a point here, but he's also trying to prepare us for real life. My, my question, if you start reading through this verse and you stop in the middle, you got all this stuff about power. Well, I just stopped and said, why do we need this power? Why is this power so necessary? Look at the second half of verse 11. May he be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Okay, For all endurance and patience with joy. First time I read that, I thought, why is he using the two words to talk about the same thing? Endurance and patience. I teach junior high. I use those two things interchangeably. Some of y'all missed that. You come hang out with my 7th and 8th grade English classes in a couple of weeks, and you'll understand why I need patience and endurance with joy, right? The joy comes at like 3.05. So what's the difference? Endurance is that quality of human behavior that enables you to withstand whatever it is that you're struggling with. Okay, Those people who are doing the power walking, those people that are running the marathons. A guy who's running a marathon or a lady who's running a marathon doesn't need endurance in the first two or three miles. If you're a marathon runner, you're trained to run 26.2 miles. You don't need endurance the first two or three miles. You need the endurance at about mile 19, mile 20, mile 21, where it's getting hard and folks are quitting. It's a lot easier to claim a relationship with Jesus Christ and start a walk with God than it is to finish a walk with God. 
hear people ask all the time, can you lose your salvation? And the answer is only if you never really had it to begin with. But I believe with all my heart, and I've seen it through experience, that there are people who claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ and who are in a church, but who aren't saved. Jesus said, he who endures to the end will be saved. Interesting, isn't it, that it's the same word, endurance. Not only do we need endurance... We need His power to build patience for when our faith is tested. You don't really need patience when things are easy. You need patience in the middle of the storm. When you're questioning, why would God, who claims to love me, allow this horrible thing to happen to me? You take a look at the number of God's people. I'm in churches all over Northeast Arkansas, and every church in Northeast Arkansas has a prayer list. Y'all have got one out in the foyer. I was looking at it right before the worship, the worship service. And there are people on that list who love Jesus with all their hearts. Would you agree? And they're suffering. Sickness, loss in their family, a, a, a death in the family, financial problems. Gary mentioned a new baby that, that's got a heart murmur. Why? Why would God, why would he allow? When you ask those questions, that's when you need the patience. You need to hold on tighter to God when things are hard even than you do when things are easy. See, because trials will do one of two things. It'll either drive you away from God or it'll drive you closer to Him than you've ever been before. Paul prays for us to have endurance and patience with joy. Those words don't seem to go together unless you've got a list of opposites going, right? Patience and joy the only two people that would link patience and joy is a well-paid doctor i got one person laughing the rest of you trying to figure out what's going on but the bible tells us that the joy of the lord is our strength the joy of the lord the bible says that jesus endured the cross because of the joy that was set before him. Man, Paul, he knew what to pray, y'all. He knew the Colossians would need it, and God knew that we would need it. All endurance and patience with joy. Last thing that God wants to do, wants to improve your walking skills, he wants to pump up your spirit, and then lastly, God wants you to thank your hero. Look at verse 12. Paul kind of shifts gears a little bit in verses 12 through 14. It, it kind of it gets to the point where it's less about the Colossians and it's more about God. Take a look at this. Look at verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Let's stop right there. Because we need to thank the hero who has made us his heir. Let's, let's face the truth for a minute. Let's be honest. God was under no obligation to save any of us. God didn't have to allow us into his family. You see people on the news fighting for their rights. We're not going to go into a ton of that. I'm going to fight for my rights. I got the right to whatever. Let's be honest. If we fought for our rights with God, we'd be in hell tonight. If we fought, God, give me what I deserve. 
it'd get hot in here real quick because that's what we deserve. It's God's mercy. The Scripture says it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. The other hard fact to admit in this context with us is that we didn't have any right to claim any of the promises that were already in the Bible. Think about it. When Colossians was written, all of the Old Testament was already finished, right? They'd had that for years. And they had been able to look and see how God had picked out a guy, Abraham, and had made a nation out of him, and had blessed that nation, and had made some promises to that nation. Unless you've got Jewish blood running through your veins, you don't have access to those promises in the Old Testament if it weren't for what Jesus did on the cross. You who were far off, Paul told the Ephesians, God has brought near. He says it later in Colossians, that Jesus made peace through the blood of His cross. As bad as it was before Jesus, the Scripture says here that God has qualified us. That word is very unique. It doesn't show up a whole lot in the Scriptures. In fact, it's one of those Greek words that preachers, that they got to be really careful because if <laughs> we get tongue-tied really quick. I get that problem with English words, much less Greek ones. But I want to share this one with you. It's hekanosanti, hekanosanti. And it means to make sufficient or to authorize. The Scripture says God has qualified, He has authorized, He's made us sufficient to share in His inheritance. I like that because no matter how hard I try, I'm just not good enough. Believe me, I have to answer in the mirror every day. I'm just not good enough. On my best day, I'm still an epic failure on my own. Think about the best day of your last two weeks. I'm talking, you woke up with a song in your heart. You're like David. I will awaken the dawn, and you're praising God before you even brush your teeth. And it's just a wonderful day. You get through the whole thing. You're skipping to work because of the joy that's inside you. You witnessed to 78 people. You, you got home and you laid down and you thanked God for everything and you closed your eyes. The best day ever. Still not enough. Still not enough. But God has qualified us. He has authorized us to share in His Paul told the Romans that we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We share what the Father is giving to the Son. That's pretty cool. Now as God's children and His heirs, we share His inheritance. The Scripture says we share the inheritance of the saints in light. That's another one of those things that doesn't seem to make sense at first. What, do they got this inheritance over in a the corner? They got a big spotlight on it? What, what are they talking about? What's the inheritance? Brother Fred's going to be talking about, are we living in the last days? I don't know a good answer to that, but I do know one thing. Jesus is going to come back at some point, And when he does, he's going to make it all right. He's going to fix all those that are wrong. Then he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And guess what? We get to live there with him. I'll give you one verse of scripture on this point. Revelation 21, 23. Talking about this new city, this new Jerusalem. The scripture says, the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Why is our inheritance in light? Because that's where Jesus is. 
There's a song in the old Heavenly Highway hymnal that I used to sing when I was a little kid. And I've probably gotten a little stubborn about it. And if I hurt your feelings with what I'm about to say, please, please understand that's not my intent. But there's a song in that book that sings about a mansion on a hilltop. If you pay attention to the lyrics to that song, there's nothing about thanking God for saving us, thanking God that we're going to be able to be there. It's all about give me what I want, a mansion, a harp, a crown, all this cool stuff. Look, I'll be honest with you. You put me in a cardboard box when we get to heaven. I don't need a mansion. I don't need a harp. I don't even know how to play one. Give me a cardboard box, but make sure it's as close to the throne of Jesus as possible. It's all I want. All I need. Got to get our focus right. Heaven is not heaven because of all the cool stuff that's there. Look, I've got some loved ones who have passed away, and I miss them like crazy. And I can't wait to sit down and hang out with them again. But that's not why heaven is so cool. We're, the scripture says we're going to get some crowns when we get to heaven, if we're found faithful in certain areas of our lives. And that'll be cool. I don't, I've never seen a crown that would fit this head except the one you get at Burger King. So that, that's going to be kind of cool. But that's not why heaven is so amazing. They say there's a street of gold. I've never rollerbladed successfully. Have unsuccessfully a few times. It'd be cool to rollerblade down the street of gold or go fishing in the Crystal Sea. I bet you the catfish there are so big you don't have to lie about them. But that's not what makes heaven so good. Strip all that away. And the fact that the lamp of that city is the Lamb of God who took away my sin, that is what makes heaven so amazing. And that's why I want to persevere and prop up and pump up and build up my faith to the point that I will endure through all the junk we face on this earth so that he'll look at me and lock eyeballs with me and say to me, well done, my son. Not only do we need to thank the hero who made us his heir, we need to thank the hero who rescued us from the evil one. Look at verse 13. We read this a little while ago, but I'm going to read it again. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, do you remember the Rocky movies? If you're younger than like 25, you have no idea. Oh, no, I should take that back. They're still making Rocky movies. Rocky beat up a guy in the nursing home in the last one, I think is what they told me. Yo, Adrian! Adrian's been dead for 30 years, so he just, you know. But I think it was Rocky III. Do you remember when he gets to the end and he shuts up Mr. T? You remember? That is three, right? That's Rocky III when he takes down Mr. T? Okay. He's like, I pity the fool. He's the next thing you know, he's laying on the ground, right? I love that. Because the hero, the rock star in the movie, he took down the bad guy. That's why movies are supposed to work. That's why I don't watch the movies where John Wayne dies. I just, it's, it's not right, you know? Newsflash. At the Battle of Calvary, the good guy won. Jesus, I saw it, uh, I think it was on a t-shirt, Jesus beat the devil with a big ugly stick, right? He won. And in so doing, he rescues those who are willing to be rescued. The Bible says that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness 
and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That word translated could also be translated deported. Isn't that interesting? I, didn't, I made the same face, brother. When I looked it up, I was like, huh? I did the whole dog, the, the face a dog makes when he's contemplating a fire hydrant. I made the same face. It could be translated deported. It can also refer to when people, when people were pulled out of one area and sent to another area to build a new colony. Now think about that. Uprooted from where you are, well, where were we before Jesus? We were in the domain of darkness, right? We've been delivered from there, deported, if you will, and transferred into a new kingdom that God's Son is building. Did you know the Scripture says in Revelation that, that God's people will help Him judge the world? Did you know that? Judge not, lest you be... That is so misinterpreted. I, I won't even go there. But there will be a time when we will ride right alongside Jesus. Well, I'm going to ride behind Him. I want Him to take the lead. We've been rescued. But you know what? Not everybody's been rescued. Not everybody has been deported. Not everybody has been transferred. And the saddest part of it, those who are still in darkness don't even realize that anything's wrong. They don't have a clue. Scripture says in 2 Corinthians 4.4 that the God of this world has blinded the eyes of those who are in unbelief. That's why it's our job to share the truth of the gospel with couple of things and then we're going to close. I want, to tell, I want you to take a look at this. How were we rescued? It says he has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his, of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption. Redemption. That's how Jesus rescued us. Redemption is a payment word. Any of y'all got a mortgage? Are you a bunch of liars? No, my house has been paid. I, was, no, that's a, I, hope, you're, I hope that's your case. Because, man, I, I like Wells Fargo less every month. That's where we send our mortgage payment. Looking forward to that day when it's going to be redeemed. I think it's in 2043 is when our mortgage matures. My grandkids will be there to burn the note, you know, so it'll, it'll be all right. But Jesus made payment, but to whom? Think about that. Where did Jesus write the check, if you want to put it that way? He didn't pay off Satan. So we've been delivered from the domain of darkness, but Jesus didn't make payment to Satan. Satan's got his own sin to worry about. Jesus, by his death on the cross, made payment to fulfill and to appease the righteousness of God. Because of the work of Jesus on the cross, when God the Father looks at you, instead of saying, I condemn you, he says, my son paid your price. You're good. By the way, Jesus paid the price personally, but the payment was himself. There are some religious traditions that teach that, you know, you, you accept Christ, but you can be unsaved after you're saved. You ever heard those people? They say you can lose your salvation. Let me settle that for you just, just real quickly. Okay. 
If it were true that we could lose our salvation and then have to get it back, the only way for that to happen would be for Jesus to come back and go back to the cross. Not what the Scripture says happened. Hebrews makes it very clear that Jesus came down here as our great high priest and offered himself once for all for our sins. Now, if you've got some translations with you this morning, you're wondering why there's a phrase missing at the end of verse 14. Some translations add the phrase in his blood, and that needs to be addressed. Because there is a movement out there that is claiming that folks are trying to remove the blood from the Bible. Now, the earliest copies of Colossians in Greek just don't have that phrase. They just don't. But it is in the Scriptures, and it is in Paul's writings. And I'm going to wrap this up by making the blood clear to you, because I'm not going to be that preacher that, you, you hear this, right? People say this all the time. Preachers today, they just don't preach the blood anymore. Well, hang on, because I'm getting ready to. Listen to Ephesians 1. Look at what Paul says here. This is Ephesians 1, verses 7 through 10. You can jot this down. I don't have it on the screen. But look at what it says. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Jesus paid the price in his blood, and he wrote on your bill, paid in full. So as we tie this together, talking about a divine workout, what does that look like? I'm going to put it up here. Three things, and then we're done. Tie this all together. Firstly, be filled with the knowledge of God's will. You want to build, build yourself up? Fill yourself yeah, right. Can't do that. Be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Use wisdom to apply your knowledge and let God's word determine the steps of your walk with Him. Secondly, pump up your spirit with God's strength so that you can patiently endure the enemy's attacks and life's trials. Build joy through your trials, knowing that you're never alone. Man, that's a good comfort. Lastly, Give thanks to the hero who died to eliminate the debt you could never pay on your own. And if you've never accepted that gift, there's no time like right now. The bottom line is, without Christ, we all stand bankrupt before God. And so as we move into a time of invitation, I want to be very clear with you. If you can look me in the eye and say, yes, Matthew, there was a time in my life where I made a decision to give my life to Jesus, then most of this message was for you. It's hard to be a Christian sometimes. But I want, to know, I want you to know God's Word, Paul prayed it for the, for the Colossians, and I've been praying it for you all week long. That you would realize and take advantage of everything that God has given to you. See, Jesus didn't just save you so that you could say, yeah, I made that decision and when I die, I'll go to heaven. What about all the stuff in between? That's what this is for. It's the Monday through Saturday. And if you're here this morning outside God's kingdom, it's not going to end well for you, but it doesn't have to. Jesus won. When he died on the cross, he died for you. 
And he died to make it possible for you to be delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into his kingdom. I would urge you to accept that offer today. Would you pray with me? As your heads are bowed, I want you to understand that God wants the best for you. It doesn't always seem that way because life is hard. But God wants the best for you. And maybe you came in this morning as a follower of Jesus, but your life is really hard right now. I just want to encourage you and remind you that you're not in this thing by yourself. God loves you. Jesus died for you. You have a room full of brothers and sisters who will walk through these trials with you. Maybe this morning you need to go to Him in prayer and say, you know what, God? I forgot how much you have available for me. I want to be filled with the knowledge of your will. I want to be strengthened with your power according to your glorious might so that I can endure patiently the trials that life throws my way. Maybe it's been a while since you thank the Lord Jesus for what he's done for you. We've got a bad habit of taking things for granted. And maybe we've taken our salvation for granted. So maybe you came in this morning and the only thing God wanted you to do was just slow down and look up and start living a life of gratitude. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never made the decision to trust Christ. Once we've prayed, I'm going to invite you just to come up. There are going to be some of your church's prayer partners up here at the front. And if you need to pray with someone about accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior, they're here for you. I'm here for you. But don't leave here with business left undone between you and God. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for going to the cross on our behalf. And thank you, Lord, that you didn't just die to give us forgiveness and then let us kind of fend for ourselves until we die. You've given us way more than that. And it's my prayer this morning that you would help your people to tap into the enormous power that's at our disposals if we'll just trust our lives to you each day. I pray, God, that our walk will grow, grow more strong today. I pray that you would pump up our spirit. And I pray that we would live lives of gratitude because, God, you are our hero. And, Father, I pray that if there's a person in this room who's never made the decision themselves, personally, to surrender their lives to Jesus, I pray they would do that before they leave this room. Lord, be glorified in the time that we have remaining and the opportunity we have to respond to your truth. And we pray it, Jesus, in your name.